Motherhood has been used to oppress and exploit women for centuries, but it doesn't have to be this way. And as mothers, we're ready for a revolution. We love our kids, but we struggle with losing our identities, bearing the weight of motherhood without enough support, and striving to meet those impossible standards of what it means to be a good mother. It's time to openly discuss how motherhood is deeply affected by patriarchy, racism, and capitalism, so that we can break free of these systems. As mothers, we know our work is valuable and has radical potential to birth a more equitable and inclusive future for ourselves and our children. Welcome to the Rebel Mothers Podcast. I'm your host, Susie Fishleader, and together we'll explore the challenges of modern motherhood and reclaim mothering as an act of liberation. Hello! So in today's episode of Rebel Mothers, we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to the heart of this podcast, maternal activism. Today I'm going to provide an overview of what maternal activism is and how it's evolved throughout history. We'll take a look at some specific examples of organizations that are, you know, successful maternal activist organizations. Um, and then we're also going to take a look at a not so successful example to see what went wrong. Uh, I serve on the board of an organization that really focuses on this topic. It's the International Association for Maternal Action and Scholarship, IAMAS. And our vision is a world in which mothers are supported by their families, communities, businesses, and governments. And I think it's important that we center mothers in conversations about activism uh, because I think there's this seeming contradiction when we look at something, right? So let's get into it, okay? The fact is when we think of something maternal and then we think of activism, on the face of it, these two terms seem to be at odds, right? There's this stereotype of mothers that says, once we become mothers, we become sort of removed from the world of political and social struggle. There's that kind of Madonna and child image of motherhood where mothers are portrayed in the home and private sphere, you know, sort of gazing lovingly at their adorable children, totally invested in their upbringing. And when you think of mom, when you think of mother figures out in public, you think of them in relation to their identity of mothers. So you, you know, they're the soccer mom, they're on the PTA, uh, she's the mom who's clipping coupons and shopping back to school deals, and she cuts the crust off the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? She's your stereotypical mom who's nurturing and protective, but not threatening or offensive. She's focused on the private sphere, not the public sphere. She's maternal. And then when you hear the words activist or political organizer or protester or revolutionary, these words seem totally at odds with the portrayal that we have of mothers who are quiet and sweet and at home doing nothing but thinking of their children, right? When I picture an activist, it's someone marching in the streets and they're chanting something loudly and they're holding a sign in one hand and the other hand is a fist in the air. So at first glance, these words maternal activism might seem a little incompatible. Spoiler alert, mothers have been involved in nearly every single major social movement in the history of our country and often the world, including the suffrage movement, child labor laws, civil rights movement, protective legislation for women, and so many more. And as we're going to get into in this episode, this version of what a mom looks like that I described earlier draws heavily on a you know, mass market pop culture tradition that has been run largely by white people. 
Black mothers, indigenous mothers, and other mothers of color have inextricably linked their motherhood with activism for decades without broad recognition or public acceptance. But we'll get into that shortly, I promise. So when I say maternal activism, what I'm talking about is a form of activism that is focused on addressing various issues that impact mothers, children, and families within their communities and society at large. It represents a collective movement that is made up of predominantly women who use their personal experiences, voices, and energy to drive social, political, and policy changes that aim to improve the lives of women and their children. So if, it help, if it's helpful, you can think of it as similar to different movements like anti-racist activism You know, is action that's focused on advocating for equitable treatment of people of color. Or indigenous activism is activism that's focused on arguing for the rights and well-being of indigenous people. Maternal activism is a movement dedicated to advocating for mothers and issues that are important to mothers. Although, as we'll discuss later in this episode, it also often intersects with many other social justice issues in the world. Maternal activists work to challenge and change policies, uh, societal norms, and systems that perpetuate this inequality, discrimination, and injustice against mothers and or the issues that are important to them. Okay, let's take a look at some of the critical issues that maternal activism might cover. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's a good starting point. So maternal activism could include advocating for maternal health, affordable childcare, paid family leave, reproductive rights, education, healthcare, economic equality like welfare, Maternal activism can also include addressing issues like guns in schools, abortion rights and reproductive justice, domestic violence, breastfeeding rights, which actually has a very clever name of lactivism, (laughs) Uh, LGBTQ parenting, climate change, and really any matter that affects mothers and children can be centered in maternal activism. These efforts are based on a belief that no mother should have to face difficult challenges when it comes to ensuring the health safety, and prosperity of their families. Now, I'm going to put on my academic hat for a minute. There's another term you'll sometimes hear. It's called maternalism. It's an older term, and you see it used in a lot of academic texts referring to women's political movements in the 18th, 19th, and early 20th centuries. I don't usually use the term maternalism because there are some cases where maternalism focuses on children's needs while excluding the mother's needs. And this can create a really limited sphere of influence for women. Maternalism has sometimes been used to describe mothers who seek the well-being of some children while harming others. For example, all the white mothers who were viciously against racial integration of schools in the South, right? I'm actually working on a paper right now about mothers of the alt-right. And it's fascinating and also a little bit disturbing to see how frequently women employ this sort of, you know, we're doing this for the good of the children rhetoric in order to promote racist or gender inequity ideologies. So maternalism carries with it a connotation that I consider at odds with my own personal definition of maternal activism, which is gender inclusive, feminist, anti-racist, and global. And in fact, a lot of motherhood studies scholars aren't totally sure about the effectiveness of using a maternal lens because of how it may reinforce stereotypical beliefs that mothers are the ones who are primarily responsible for children. And in fact, some people believe that calling it maternal activism downplays or lessens its effectiveness. 
right? Let's address this. It's like, oh, that's just something the moms are doing. Isn't that cute? Look at them pretending they're activists. And I see that. Like, I get it. I, I wish it weren't that way. But I can tell you that when I tell people I study motherhood, I definitely get a sense that many people do not take this as a serious subject. Some people propose instead focusing on care work or caregiving, right? Drawing attention to caring for children as a form of labor, regardless of who is doing the caring, whether it's a labor of love or not, whether it is paid or not, whether it takes place in the home or in the workplace, and whether it's performed by children, adults, or other family members. And this is definitely a helpful way of centering the needs of children without placing too much emphasis on the mother. So knowing that maternal activism as a term is complex and nuanced and has a long messy history that can include some ugly parts, why do I use it? Why am I talking about it as maternal activism instead of just calling this episode activism? Well, hopefully you can see that when I put it like that, it actually kind of lessens the impact that I'm trying to, to get. When I mentioned earlier, you know, you can think of maternal activism as action that is focused on advocating for mothers and issues that are important to mothers, similar to other types of focused activism like environmental activism, disability rights activism, mental health advocacy, animal rights activism, and so on. All of these areas have a, an area of focus and that helps actually make it more effective in some ways. And since my area of research and coaching and everything I put out into the world right now is centered on advocating for mothers, I want to keep using maternal activism as the way to keep this focus. If we were to call it, for example, care work activism, that kind of takes the priority off the mother. And while there are some cases where that's appropriate, my goal in my work is to center mothers and their experiences. I Here, I am approaching this as a yes and, not an either or. I am centering mothers and emphasizing action that is also environmentally conscious, anti-racist, supportive of workers' rights, supportive of all children, and so on. So my maternal activism, when I use that term and what I would like this term to mean it doesn't come at the expense of any other initiatives. It's rooted in partnership with them while still keeping mothers as the central focus of my actions. And I think it's helpful to center the mother because for many women, it was the experience of motherhood that radicalized them to fight for social justice. This is certainly my experience. I, had, I was always a feminist, but it wasn't until I had kids that I really understood gender inequality in a very embodied way. Some of my earliest experiences of, you know, f fighting the system took place when I was pregnant and I was preparing myself to have a non-medicated birth, getting myself ready to demand skin-to-skin -skin contact with my newborn, you know, really advocating for myself. It's pretty commonplace now, but not in 2009 when I was pregnant. I saw pictures of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin on the news when he was shot and killed only a few months after my second son was born. And I then saw the horrors of racial injustice through the eyes of a mother, the mother of boys. And I became an activist when I became a mother. Then another reason why I want to talk about maternal activism is to raise awareness of the way our nuclear family-focused, hyper-individualistic society has positioned parenting as something that is private, something that only happens in the home between a mother and a father. 
right? Andrea O'Reilly, she's a prominent motherhood studies scholar. I feel like I probably referenced her in nearly every episode. <laughs> so she said this in a 2020 interview, quote, child rearing is a very individualized, very private, and even competitive, but that's not the way children have been raised historically, end quote. This way of parenting is only a decades old phenomenon, right? Before children historically were raised communally, siblings, grandparents, even friends would be there to care for a child. But after World War II, moms were pushed out of the workforce and back into the domestic spheres as men returned to work. And it made this image of home life far more isolated and privatized. Then came like the seventies and eighties and nineties, you know, as women did go back to work, and with it, this neoliberalism that kind of championed a pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. And that really made way for what we know today as helicopter parenting, right? A type of parenting that attempts to over-control and over-protect. Here's O'Reilly again, quote, We live in a world that is precarious right now. The parents, perhaps understandably, are so anxious that their child will be the one who makes it. They do all this hyper-parenting in the hope of making their child successful in a world where it's become so competitive and so individualized, end quote. So when moms organize communally for the rights of all mothers and children, I think it helps to shatter this expectation that parenting happens behind closed doors. I think it brings mothering and care work into the front lines and it demands that society sees children not as individual possessions for parents to shape, but as a communal and social responsibility. Okay, so now that we know what maternal activism is, we have a sense for what we mean when we say that term, let's take a look at some specific examples so we can learn kind of a few things that make them successful. And then we'll look at one that was unsuccessful to learn from its mistakes. Let's start with moms demand action for gun sense in America, okay? Guns are the leading cause of death for American teenagers and children. Let me say that again. Guns are the leading cause of death for American teenagers and children. In 2021, 2,590 children, ages 17 and under, died from gun violence, which was a 50% increase from 2019, only two years earlier. And there were more than 11,000 emergency room visits for gunshot injuries. Boys account for 83% of gun deaths, and black children and teens are roughly five times as likely as their white counterparts to suffer from gun violence. Which makes Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense, which is now part of the Every Town for Gun Safety movement, a great example of contemporary maternal activism. This organization was founded after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in 2012 by Shannon Watts, a mother of five who was profoundly affected by the tragedy. And in the face of you know, the seemingly insurmountable issue of gun violence, Watts sought to mobilize mothers across the U.S. And the movement now has chapters in every single state. And one of the reasons I think Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense is so successful is they really tap into the power of storytelling. Storytelling is a highly effective tool for maternal activism movements because it humanizes the issue and it creates those emotional connections. And you see this with other maternal activism organizations. Personal narratives, especially those shared by mothers, really have the power to resonate deeply with a broad audience. And this in turn motivates individuals to take action, advocate for change, and support the causes championed by maternal activists. So storytelling is a really powerful tool for turning abstract issues 
into, you know, compelling and relatable and urgent concerns in order to drive social and policy change. Now on their website, which I'll link to in the show notes, obviously, um, they actually they have a section specifically devoted to telling stories, organized by stories from survivors uh, or volunteers. Oh my gosh, you guys, when I, while I was doing research for this episode, I, uh, I was reading the stories and I read the story written by the daughter of one of the teachers who was shot and killed at Columbine High School. I just started bawling. Are these stories effective at resonating deeply with people? Hell yeah. These stories move other parents and community members and really illustrate this urgent need for action. Um, I am a subscriber to Jill Filipovic's Substack. If you don't read Jill already, you, you absolutely should. Uh, she recently published an interview that she did with Shannon Watts. And one of the questions, questions she asked was really pertinent to this topic, so I'm going to read it here. So Jill asks, Tell us about the choice to frame your activism through the lens of motherhood. I'm really interested in this because on the one hand, groups like Mothers Against Drunk Driving have had huge successes and leaning into the mom identity can imbue activist groups with a sense of moral authority. On the other hand, the idea that moral authority accrues from reproduction strikes me as a little reductive. Plus moms, who are often middle-aged women, are routinely ignored and mocked. Where did the decision to lead with moms come from? Where have you seen power there? Where have there been perhaps unanticipated downsides? And this is Shannon's answer. When I started Moms Demand Action, I was basing it on Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which is a nationwide chapter-based organization of fed up women that was incredibly culturally influential when I was growing up in the 1980s. These moms were saying, drinking and driving is killing our loved ones. Laws are the moral underpinning of our society. If we don't pass legislation making it illegal to drive under the influence, this won't stop happening. And in just under a decade, MAD managed to make it legally and culturally unacceptable to drink and drive. And I also felt intuitively that women and mothers were the secret sauce to organizing, and I was correct. Women are just incredibly dedicated, organized, relentless, and efficient activists. I know this because we've also tried organizing men, Shout out to all of the men who wear Moms Demand Action shirts. I understand that the idea of using motherhood seems anachronistic to some, but it's also pragmatic. I hope this changes, but right now society views women and mothers as the caretakers of their families and communities. The reality is that women only hold about 25% of the 500,000 elected positions in this country. We often don't have a seat at the table to make the policies that protect us and our loved ones. In addition, middle-aged women often feel derided or invisible. So this Moms Demand Action brand, which has worked to stay away from saccharine and sentimental stereotypes, emboldens women not just to become activists on a tough issue, but to stand up to armed gun extremists, push back on authority, and to run for office. Conservatives have successfully exploited motherhood for decades, which is why we now have organizations like Moms for Liberty. Progressives need to take back the moral authority that goes along with motherhood. I can tell you that mostly male lawmakers are really terrified to see Moms Demand Action volunteers show up in their red shirts or they're really grateful. I'm fine with either emotion because they both move the needle. All that said, none of my adult children are mothers, and I hope that by the time they are, they can just be activists as Americans because they have enough parity and power. End quote. So I want to highlight what she said in her uh, response about kind of the agency and authority and like the empowerment that comes from activism. And I think 
as a middle-aged mom, I do often feel invisible. Like what I'm saying doesn't matter or people aren't listening. And so feeling like there is an organization, there's a way to make my voice heard and make the issues that are important to me more forefront, that feels very empowering. Okay, so that's Moms Demand Gun Sense in America. All right, so now let's look at another organization. This is the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. And so the, the BMMA is a black woman-led organization that centers black, mom, black mamas and birthing people to advocate, drive research, build power, and shift culture for black maternal health rights and justice. BMMA was founded by Angela Aina, first-generation daughter of Nigerian parents who credits her upbringing in a close-knit Nigerian community in Atlanta, where she was really surrounded by all things fertility and pregnancy and loss. So the Black Mamas Matter Alliance was founded in 2018, and their vision is a world where Black mamas have the rights, respect, and resources to thrive before, during, and after pregnancy. The four core goals, which is to change policy that addresses Black maternal health inequity, cultivate research by leveraging the knowledge that exists in Black communities, advance care for Black mamas, and shift the culture in order to reframe the conversation and amplify the voices of Black mamas. So Black mothers in the U.S. really, they face a lot of challenges, and BMMA is a maternal activism organization that has emerged as a powerful force in advocating for the rights, well-being, and dignity of Black mothers. In a podcast interview from September of 2023, uh, Angela lists off some of the many serious issues facing Black mothers today, starting with the history of doctors learning about gynecology and obstetrics from Black enslaved women's bodies, and you know, stealing knowledge and wisdom from Black midwives, and then turning around and creating this whole medical industrial complex that refused midwifery, right? This ancient spiritual, physical practice of bringing new life earthside. Then they created credentials that required years of official education, which of course black women weren't allowed to get. Uh, There's an amazing book out there called Killing the Black Body, Race, Reproduction, and the Meaning of Liberty by Dorothy Roberts. And it's this really powerful story about some of these challenges that black mothers face as well, including the dark side of birth control, where she exposes Margaret Sanger, who's the founder of Planned Parenthood, as collaborating with eugenicists in order to promote birth control as a way to limit the birth rates of families of color. So there's a lot of challenges out there, right? And the Black Mamas Matter Alliance is doing really important work in the world by addressing these disparities in maternal mortality faced by Black women. They have made it a practice to center the narratives of Black mothers, right? So here they are using storytelling again. And this is going to this humanizes the maternal health crisis, uh, you know, sheds light on discrimination and the very real bias that Black mothers often face. And then another strength that you see in this maternal activism organization that you do also see in in Moms Demand Gun Sense is their ability to build a community of support and collaboration. So they form partnerships with healthcare professionals advocacy organizations, and community leaders who share their commitment to maternal justice. And these partnerships, these partnerships create a network of solidarity that, again, continues to amplify the voice of Black mothers and allies, and also 
right? This organization has, they hold an annual Black Maternal Health Week, for example, and this provides a platform for stakeholders to come together, to share knowledge and work towards solutions. So it's really community-based. It's not just like this individual, I have all the answers mentality. Okay, so again, I'll link to that organization in the show notes as well. Feel, please look them up. They're a, a fantastic example of maternal activism by prioritizing the needs of black mothers. Okay, so now let's look at an example, a very recent, very public, unsuccessful example of maternal activism. The Wall of Moms in Portland, Oregon. So in the summer of 2020, after George Floyd was brutally murdered uh, and called out for his mama, protests against racial injustice and police brutality broke out nationwide. And in July, there was a mother in Portland, her name was Bev Barnum, and she posted in her Working Moms Facebook group calling for other moms to meet at a protest site on a Saturday evening. She'd never protested before, but like many white mothers that summer, she was horrified and shocked into action for like the first time in her life, right? So as many as 70 moms showed up and they became known as the Wall of Moms. They wore yellow shirts, they linked arms, and they used their bodies as a physical barrier between Black Lives Matter protesters and federal agents. So the Wall of Moms garnered significant media attention and initially received praise for their efforts, right? But pretty quickly it became evident that the group was predominantly composed of white mothers and longtime Black activists immediately questioned the centering of white moms in their bodies and how just by showing up they had somehow legitimized the protests. In an article called The Complicated Rise and Swift Fall of Portland's Wall of Moms, Rochelle Dixon, a Black Lives Matter chapter founder, is quoted as saying, people who joined this group who weren't black joined it for the proximity to whiteness and their comfort level with that. As a new organizer, you need to understand that there are things you don't know and the reason why you want black leadership is to show you where the minefields are because they are out there and you already stepped on them. And it's not like your voice isn't valuable, but it's that you came in on a conversation 400 years into the making, and then the narrative changed, end quote. So within days of the initial event, Bev said that she had been in touch with Don't Shoot PDX and had received their blessing and that the wall of moms would come under their umbrella. So she was trying to remedy the situation. However, shortly afterward, Bev then filed paperwork to turn the wall of moms into a nonprofit without any consent from some of the black women that she had tapped to lead. This, this was just really bad. <laughs> so there are several weeks of complicated, messy back and forth, and eventually the group was renamed Moms United for Black Lives, and Bev was let go of the organization. Because here's the thing, even though Wall of Moms got all that media attention, their failure to not only ensure the inclusion of black and other marginalized mothers, but to center them and learn from their leadership is a really good reminder that effective maternal activism requires an intersectional and inclusive approach. Black mothers have always had to think about the survival of their children, and the wall of mom's lack of racial diversity raised important questions about that intersection of maternal activism, racial justice, and allyship. To be successful, maternal activism must be sensitive to the needs of all mothers, to be aware of the systematic racial disparities that do affect mothers and families. And this particular group tried to center white mothers in a fight for racial justice, and it just ultimately serves as an example of an unsuccessful maternal activism initiative. 
The Wall of Moms experience is basically just a reminder of the ongoing work needed to create truly impactful maternal activism that addresses the concerns of all mothers. Okay, so I hope it was helpful to hear about a few successful and one unsuccessful example of what maternal activism can look like. I'm going to start to wrap today's episode, but I still have a lot of questions to continue asking. So like, is it, a, is it still appropriate to center moms in maternal activism? Does that keep issues that are important to mothers at the forefront? Or does it reinforce stereotypical beliefs that moms are just better at advocating for children than fathers are? I mean, it makes sense that mothers would want to advocate for issues that affect their children, but is the most effective way to do that by employing their role as a mother? Because I think there's a way that maternal activism has been employed that uses the rhetoric of mom, you know, to evoke this maternal, compassionate and caring image to further agendas that aren't actually about mothers or children, right? We've seen this before um, with the moms who didn't want school integration. And right now I'm doing a deep dive into the group Moms of Liberty. Moms of Liberty says they are dedicated to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their paternal rights at all levels of government. But they have also been termed as a far-right extremist organization by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Moms for Liberty has been criticized for harassment, for deepening divisions among parents, for making students' education more difficult, and for having close ties to the Republican Party rather than being a genuine grassroots effort that centers the needs of mothers. They advocate against school curricula that mentions LGBTQ rights, that mentions race or ethnicity, that mentions critical race theory or discrimination, right? Multiple chapters across the U.S. have also campaigned to ban books that address gender and sexuality from school libraries. There's probably enough there for like a full future episode, so I'm going to save that for later, but I just... I think it's important to remember when we think about maternal activism, we think about how mothers have been fighting to improve their communities, but how they've been doing it to serve and uplift all mothers and all children, right? Instead of like picking and choosing which families will benefit from this cause that I'm championing, okay? So for those of you who are interested in becoming involved in whatever you feel like you're passionate about since you've become a mother, it's really important to start by conducting research to assess, are there already existing initiatives working in the same area that have already established effective strategies for addressing issues? Right? Pay special attention to initiatives led by mothers of color, especially if you're gonna focus on anti-racist or decolonization you know, efforts, right? By supporting and collaborating with such initiatives, you are not only contributing to the cause, but you're also demonstrating a commitment to diversity and to inclusion within the maternal activism movement. Remember, unity and shared goals are powerful drivers of change, and joining forces with established maternal activist organizations can amplify your efforts and create a more robust and equitable platform for addressing all issues that affect mothers and families. Stay tuned for more empowering stories and insightful discussions in future episodes of Rebel Mothers. Remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast to spread the message far and wide. Learn more at suzyfishleader.com. And thank you for being part of the motherhood revolution.